Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation Certified Instructor and Resiliency Expert, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges of life. You can find out more about me in this interview at my website, which is Tom the number two and tall, T-A-L-L dot com. My guest today is the amazing Michael Knittel. Uh, even though it's spelled K-N-I-T-T-E-L, it is pronounced Knittel. So for the past 17 years, Michael has been laser focused on empowering and educating investors while also helping them save money in the process. Since he became one of the youngest licensed investment advisors in the country at 21 years old, he has become an expert in helping in investors defy down markets. Whether it was the internet bubble that burst in 2000 or the housing market which popped in 2008, his experience in helping investors protect, protect the downside of their portfolios has truly set him apart from his peers. In 2013, he founded... Lagunitas Asset Management, based out of California. Their mantra is helping smart people make smart investments. Uh, they communicate and pierce the heart of what he strives to accomplish for high net worth individuals, business owners, pension plans, and endowments in the U.S. Because of the boom and bust nature of global markets, he feels that it is even more important than ever to have a professional advisor uh, by any investor's side to watch over their hard-earned dough. His chief initiative is to find unique ways to give back to the community and is able to accomplish this by helping charities raise funds, promoting them on social media and throwing large-scale ga galas in their honor. And as a result, Lagunista, Lagunitas has partnered with the Sacramento Sheriff's and their incredible charity, the Sheriff's Community Impact Program. Welcome to the show today, Michael. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's a pleasure. Now, I butchered the name of the company a few times, so pronounce it properly so people know what the real name is. Uh, it's pronounced Lagunitas, a little town that my grandparents lived in for years and years out here in California, so kind of near and dear to my heart. Now, I read a quote by Warren Buffett today that sort of goes to what your this bio talked about. And the quote was, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, see rule number one. And so it sounds like uh, uh, from what your experience is, you're helping investors do the same thing, protect the downside of their portfolios. People are so concerned about the upside, but downside hurts even more, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Warren Buffett because, you know, as a, as a young man, I just absolutely devoured anything I could find that uh, had his, you know, uh, stamp on it. And I just love his golden rule. You know, I, I think the number, you know, the rule number two is uh, uh, never forget rule number one. And, you know, that's right. the great thing about Buffett. He just keeps it simple. And when people get things really complicated in investments, that's where they start running into problems. So I, I like Warren Buffett for that respect. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Right, exactly. And now a question there, a thought that came to my mind is you cater to 
high net worth individuals, business owners, and pension plans. That is a tough market. It must be tough to reach the decision makers. Uh, they must have 98,000 98, people trying to reach them and trying to manage their money. How do you differentiate yourself? How do you get in contact and build rapport and trust with these high net worth individuals and business owners uh, and, and big pension plans that you work with? Yeah, it's a, a really good question. I appreciate you asking that. Um, you know, and things are so much different than they were when I first started my career back in 1999. Uh, you know, it was all about cold calling. You know, we were in the bullpen and banging out numbers, and I turned out to be pretty good at it. The only problem that I ran into is that I have this really deep, resonant voice, and I'd show up on my prospect's doorstep and look all of 12 years old since I still, uh, you know, Uh, I was a late bloomer, let's just say that. And they'd, they'd look at me cross-eyed and say, I thought you were 60 years old. So today, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot different now. Um, you know, cold calling is kind of a dead model. And you know, the social media networking and the power to get in touch with people all over the place has been invaluable. So you know, I, I really appreciate uh, how easy LinkedIn makes it to get in touch with executives, uh, professional athletes, and so on. And for some reason, it just seems to be far less threatening for people to answer a question in a short little email than it ever was when they'd receive a cold call. I, I don't quite hear the uh, get lost sucker as quite as much as I, as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> I've made over 200,000 cold calls and reached 5,000 C-level executives, and I've heard that same thing in yep. various degrees and various formats and in various ways. Pound salt, get lost, get out of here, not interested. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, people with the kind of money that you're looking to help, uh, do they just go on Google and like search for asset management companies, or do they mostly rely on someone that tells them, listen, I know a good guy, I trust him, does well for me, I recommend you give him a call, or do they just do a Google search and their own research like the rest of us? You know, it's it, it's a lot more of the uh, of the latter, you know, and I, I think even you know the you know the term high net worth investor might be a little bit uh, you know of of just the catch all that I use, but I, I guess by and large a lot of my clients are you know retired folks, you know elderly, and you know they by saving and you know being really good stewards of their money, a, a lot of you know just people with you know blue collar work you know, wind up with half a million bucks to a million dollars that's supposed to be there to carry them you know, throughout their, you know, the rest of their lives. So again, that uh, you know, Warren Buffett rule, you know, don't lose money always rings in my ears, especially with those clients. So I think maybe 10 years from now, when people are looking for a guy like me, they probably will just you know, do a Yelp search or a Google search. But It's, it's strange because my business is very different since it's not a widget. It's a, please tell me everything you've got. It's a very private question and, and very scary for people to open up. So a lot of people really do kind of rely on word of mouth uh, you know, versus anything else. So 
when I use LinkedIn or Twitter or you know, Google and all the different tools, it's, it's more about uh, keeping my name out there, um, building credibility, but realizing that the chances that I get somebody to click randomly off the internet and becomes my client is pretty low at this point. Probably will change a little bit, but still far more the referral driven at this stage in the game. Right, and I love how you clarified high net worth individuals because thinking of the book, The Millionaire Next Door, yep, it's yep. not the people that we think. It's not the people in the big house with the fancy schmancy car and the mm-hmm. $92,000 watch. The Millionaire Next Door tells us that it's probably the guy living in a regular house who's got a maybe a trade business or, as he said, been a wise steward of their money. They look like they got nothing, but they have lots. And yes. so it doesn't necessarily have to be a business owner or somebody that you look at uh, driving down the street or by his house and think, Wow, that guy's a high net worth guy. Right, Man, right. the guy in the the guy in the next neighborhood could have actually more cash in the bank than the guy you're actually admiring, who you think has the cash in the bank. Yeah, they they usually do. You know, the the people that have the brand new Mercedes times three in the driveway and the you know million dollar home here in California are usually the people that are about uh, dead poor when it comes to cash. It's it's all in the driveway, and that's something that in my state at least, uh, looking good is far more important to the majority of my peers um, than the, the plan, the, the journey, the how is this going to imp- impact me 20 years from now. It's, it's much more of a, a right now type of culture in this neck of the woods. You know, Silicon Valley is a stone's throw away. So, I mean, Teslas are a dime a dozen out here. You can't tell me that everybody in their neighbor can afford $80,000 for an electric car, but that sure seems to be the case in my neighborhood. Right, and it's usually a sign of that's not your prospect. <laughs> yeah, I usually move and, on and when I find somebody that's got a 20-year-old Buick in their front yard. Those are the people I want to talk to. Right, exactly. Like my mom's husband, my stepfather, they've been married 20 years. He's worth about $50 million. And you would never, you would never know by looking at him, by talking to him, by the car that he drives. Uh, He managed $13 billion for Manualized Bond Fund. He's met probably a a dozen billionaires. You can never get him to tell his stories about meeting billionaires. You got to get a few drinks in them, <laughs> prod them, and bribe them to even hear about these people. And so, yeah, usually the people with the money are unassuming. So now we talked about uh, one of the things you want to accomplish is protect that money. Don't lose it. But right, what are right. other things? What are other things that you hope to accomplish for the the clients that you serve? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it comes down that investments winds up being a very small part of the role that I play in each of my clients' lives. And I'm kind of a person that, you know, once you become my client, um, it doesn't take very long for people to realize that I'm there as a resource for a lot of different things. And 
I guess it could be best painted with the you know analogy of me kind of building a castle around my clients with walls that are so high uh, that uh, none of the shysters and the salespeople out there, whether they're mortgage brokers or insurance guys or attorneys or plumbers, can get in. And and, and the reason I say plumbers, um, you know, is with a, a number of my clients being shut-ins. You know, they don't really leave the house very often. Uh, you know, late 70s, widowed. Uh, I get calls uh, quite frequently from clients saying, hey, uh, Mike, I, I need $15,000. And I'm saying, no problem. Uh, you know, and they're like, yeah, I have a plumber. He's uh, coming out. I need all new copper piping. And my response is, that's great. Um, would you mind if my buddy the plumber came down and took a look? They call me the next day, tell them they got charged 50 bucks, and thank me, thank me, thank me. So I look at it and think, if I can save my clients from throwing $15,000 away on plumbing, that's probably a better investment than I could ever make in a single day. So it really does come down to uh, I'll give people as much service and attention you know, as they need. They want to buy a car. I don't want my clients going in and negotiating with dealers. I want to call the dealer, get the client invoice, so what they walk in, they write a check, and they leave. That way, I mean, they keep the most money in their accounts as possible, and, and I just kind of look at it as my job to see that done in any shape that I can and in form that I can really you know, help with out there. Wow, and that must be a big relief for some people, and yet an enormous responsibility for you. Uh, there's like a lot it. of shysters out there. There's a lot of people that are, yeah, they're trying to do a, you know, a five thousand dollar remodeling of a room that they're going to charge twenty five thousand for, and right. older people may not always know. And so, you must feel a tremendous sense of responsibility that you don't want anyone to get by that barrier to in any fashion that involves money to get to your clients and it must be nice for them to with all the calls and all the people they much must approach them for them to say uh call my guy call my guy michael call my guy michael so that they don't have to they're elderly they may not have the network or the ability to research these people and so it must be a nice feeling for them to just say Bugger off. Call my guy, Michael. If you're good, you'll get by him. If you're not, I'm not going to hear from you again. Well, you know, we all know that experience of, you know, going into the car dealer for the first, second, or third time and how intimidating that is for a lot of people. And to have that, to just take that responsibility. I mean, I love negotiating, and I love putting car dealers in check because, I mean, the power of the Internet it tells us exactly how much cars are supposed to cost. So if I go in and tell the car dealer, I got a client, he's coming in with $50,000 tomorrow, he wants to pay $50,000, done deal. Makes it simple for everybody. And, and honestly, I think it's a win for the dealer because, you know, it's known business that comes in, it's easy, and they realize there's no reason to give these people a hard time because I'll call them back. And they really don't want that. So... Yeah, I mean, I, rather rather than it being a burden, boy, I really I love it. Um, it's the thing that you know makes me uh, happiest in this business is when I get to go and do something that's a little outside of the investment spectrum because that's really where people just uh, are kind of floored. They're like, you really will get involved in this for me? 
I'm like, yeah, it's, it's what makes me happy. So it's, uh, it's a great responsibility. Amazing. Now, uh, I'm in the technology world. I love technology, but I mm-hmm. imagine it's changed the financial management business significantly. The, first of all, you can find way more options than you used to years ago, and all you knew was your buddy or neighbor or friend who was a financial planner. Uh, if you Google any kind of financial planning request online, you must get like a gazillion answers and possibilities. So how has technology changed your world and financial planners and financial management world? Because, uh, yeah, there are so many options you can find and could confuse people more than simplify things. Yeah, I think that's what we're really good at in the investment business is just uh, confusing things and making it very hard for the average person to understand it because boy, if people get all confused and they sign on the dotted line, um, you know, it's a win for the company, right? If For me, I, I just look at it and think my goal is just to bring transparency to investments for the average person. Because, I mean, the reason why I have a job is that there are plenty of people out there that um, really don't have the time or the desire to spend studying this. So they appreciate when people just tell it to them straight. So uh, technology in, in my business has changed so much. Um, when I you know, got licensed in 1999, I was working for A.G. Edwards, which was unfortunately bought in 2007. It was a great firm to work for. But at that time, I walked in the office, we had 486s. I mean, 486s. We were not hooked up to the Internet. Internet hookup wouldn't come until 2002. Try that one on for size. I mean, major U.S. corporation, like most other brokerage firms, were not connected to the Internet because uh, we have such a rigorous standard for compliance in this business that everything has to be monitored. So, you know, for my first 15 years in the business, or I think maybe 14 Uh, you weren't allowed to have social media accounts because they were just compliance nightmares. For every email, every uh, login into LinkedIn, or every Twitter tweet, it's got to be archived somewhere. So now that the, you know, we've kind of caught up with the times in in the business, um, and me being a little bit of a younger fellow for the, you know, the, the business as a whole, um, I've really kind of put pedal to the metal in getting engaged on as many platforms techno- you know, technology-wise that I can. Uh, also, uh, just the, the ease in, in running my business, so whether you know, I'm here in my office, um, you know, in my bathrobe at my house, or even on vacation in foreign countries. As long as I have a Wi-Fi connection, I can access anything from anywhere and manage things just as effectively as if I was sitting at my desk. And boy, I mean, uh, that, that, that was not the case uh, 17 years ago. You had to be in the office to do something, and if you weren't in the office, you couldn't do anything. So hmm. Exactly. Now you can bit. do it wherever you are. Well, yeah, and, and still, though, with most major firms, you know, it's still that same way. So it was one of the the big reasons about three, four years ago that I kind of got started in uh, 
you know, establishing my own firm because I just was tired of the old way that things were done, that you had to come into the office to place a trade in a client's account or to affect any sort of change. Um, you know, so it took a couple of years worth of applications with the Securities and Exchange Commission, got my own firm, and now I go direct to the custodians, whether that's Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade. And, and TD, I mean, out of everybody out there, that company, technology-wise, is so much better than everybody else. It is scary. It, wow. And, and, and I'll say this just kind of trying to paint as clear a picture as I can, but I always looked at Charles Schwab as kind of being that, you know, that de facto cutting-edge solution, and that was leagues of, you know, ahead of where A.G. Edwards was or where Merrill Lynch was and all the rest of the big boys and so on. Now, Schwab's still there, but TD has gone just levels above them and everybody else because they just keep adding to their platform. Uh, a couple of years ago, they bought a company called Thinkorswim for around $90 million or so and gave the technology to all of their advisors for free. This stuff that they give us to monkey around with and be financial nerds with is the best stuff I've ever seen. Bar and that's none. A Canadian bank. Darn Woo, right. Toronto so, yeah, Dominion. Uh, you know, I, I worked for you know the Royal Bank of Canada for a couple of years, and now with uh, you know TD, and you can say that uh, me and Canadians, we've always gotten along great. That's my bank, TD Bank, number one in customer service in Canada for a number of years running, quite a number of years running. And I hadn't I realized I hadn't realized it until I spoke to a friend of mine. Uh, He's a financial planner, Mike Benton, and I asked him to maybe write a blog for me or to do a radio interview with him, and he turned them both down because he said, yeah. Tom, i got to get every word I write or say approved by my head office. And so he said, it's way too cumbersome to write an article. Right. I'd have to get it approved by like 19 levels of people. If I go on a radio show and I say even just one wrong sentence, I can get my ass kicked. And so I hadn't realized how regulated your industry is. It's a little maddening. I mean, you know, and it's been just uh, liberating, to say the least, to call the shots. And... You know, it, it, uh, when I look at the presence of other advisors on the different social media platforms out there, it's why you don't see very many of them out there to start with, but, or, or that the majority of them barely post things at all because every single thing that you do has to be approved first. And I guess that's the advantage of being the boss is that um, I'm pretty darn versed, you know, well-versed in compliance, and um, I approve, so I post. Nice, and that gives you a tremendous advantage over other people. I got to get that 19 levels of approval before they even mention their name and what company they work for online, and so that helps. And now, I've always believed, and my selling process—I think a lot of people now—selling process involves serving people first, selling people second. Right. And I think with your large scale, the galas that you run. Uh, for charities, it helps you. It helps the charities. It helps you. It's like a win-win situation. I have found yeah. that well, the wealthiest people, or at least people with money, mm -hmm. are generally the most generous people. 
And if right. you can help them with these galas to raise funds for their favorite charities, the people that you meet there are probably your clientele or your prospects or the type of people you want to hang around, right. and you're doing a good thing at the same time. So talk about uh, some of the charitable endeavors that you do, how you help them raise funds, uh, the galas that you throw and that sort of thing, because that is a, that is exactly an example of serve first, sell later. Yeah, and uh, you know this this whole you know project essentially you know with you know charities and you know the that we've you know really kind of put you know or gotten underway here in the last year was as a result of me and my staff sitting down last year and I just had a feeling that um, you know I'd been really good at raising money for the firm and bringing it in but it it was just kind of ceasing to be rewarding. So I realized, hey, I'm really good at getting people to you know, bring money in. What if I took that talent and applied it to getting people to write large checks to charity? So just like you said, Tom, I mean, I mean number one, the goal is just it's totally transparent. I'm just looking to help charities raise money. I'm not getting paid. It just makes me feel good to do this. Number two is I get to throw some really cool parties. You know, the small one that we did at the end of last year benefited the Sacramento Sheriff's Toy Project. And just off of this one little thing, we wound up taking in 650 toys off of one single night and, you know, about a thousand bucks in cash donations. And seeing the officer's reaction to that was, I mean, it was incredible. Being able Mm -hmm. to invite all my clients to something like this, they see me in a different light. And, you know, if we've got a big project coming up this year working for the Sacramento Sheriff's Community Impact Program, and the date isn't finalized, but it should be somewhere towards the late part of the year. And the idea with that is to do it extremely high scale. Um, you know, we want people to come and just have something that they remember that causes them to continue to give throughout the year, that causes them to want to support the charities with maybe their time, too. Because it's not just by check writing that these charities go off. It's by people like you and I that are willing to give our time. So it's not always about writing a check. So by giving visibility to some of these projects and by putting some of the youths on stage that have benefited from the sheriff's program and have kind of gone away from that life on the streets and you know risen above that into higher education, um, When you put them on stage, people get it. People Mm. understand what they're writing a check for. And so it's it's really kind of a marvelous way for people to see me in a different light, for the firm to get some good publicity, but more so that, you know, we get to help kids. And if there's two groups that are, you know, really most often taken advantage of in this country, it's the elderly and youth. So, you know, being able to help both of those, you know, sides with the work that I do makes me feel pretty good at the end of the day. And at the same time, I know for myself, I feel tremendously encouraged and excited by the generosity of 
wealthy people. Go back to my stepfather. I've asked him, have you ever written a million-dollar check for charity? And he he said, yeah, I have. Wow. One check for a million dollars. And as someone who's been in hospital 40 times, there's three hospitals in the Toronto area that I've been in. Every single one of them, I saw a plaque with his name on. And they don't give you those plaques for $25 donations. And so... Uh, that encourages me. And then I have a number of friends who work for World Vision. And whenever I see them, I ask them, tell me of a, you know, a recent big donation. And they're always telling me somebody will just call in and nonchalant, so polite, really nice. And then when it gets to, okay, how much is it that you'd like to give? Oh, 50000 75000 25000 and and my friend will often tell them, are you sure? <laughs> like that. <laughs> are you sure? Really? Wow. Okay, cool, cool. And so it must be very encouraging and and must like warm your soul to see the generosity of, of people that have more than, remember that 40% of the population of the world lives on less than $2 a day. So nice to yeah. see the people that have more than they need. Uh, help others in need and it's and it's really surprising um, how hard it is for people to find charities that they can get comfortable writing those big checks to because so often with you know organizations so much of the money they take in goes to covering overhead or you know money disappears or whatever the case may be so you know by us kind of going through and have having vetted these charities and found them and essentially it, it just makes my clients that much more comfortable donating and and also uh, you know when people are in this stage of life that a lot of my clients are you know they do a significant amount of estate planning and of course, people really like to you know, make sure their families are taken care of for generations, and, and that's a beautiful thing. But I mean, when I help settle estates for clients who have passed on, and they have hundreds of thousands of dollars that are going to cancer research at UC Davis, or you know, to uh, helping the SPCA, when I see people that are, you know, have put those provisions in or were writing the checks after they've passed on, it is really, really neat because, I mean, you can do a whole lot of money. You can do a whole lot of good with 100 bucks, but you can do, I mean, a whole, whole, whole lot of good with 100,000 bucks. So, right. you know, it, I agree with you. I mean, it's, uh, it is a, a really, really cool feel and being involved and seeing checks like that. And, you know, I've got a plaque on my wall from the sheriff's department, and that to me is worth its weight in gold. You know, just wow. having something that says on behalf of the sheriff's, we think you're great. And that's all the recognition, credit, or anything I could ever want. Wow. It sounds like you're almost in the vetting business as much as you are in the financial management business. You yeah. vet people, how you vet how people spend their money, and you vet how people give their money. And so it sounds like you do as much vetting as you do uh, prospecting for clients sounds like you're really nothing that goes in or nothing that goes out of their account is going to get they're not going to get screwed on anything that goes out of their account with Michael Knittel on guard yeah I just try to be kind of that pit bull in their corner and my only allegiances and loyalties are to the people that I work for and if I 
see that they've got a professional that uh, is maybe putting you know their self interest uh, ahead of the clients more often than not. I mean, I realize everybody you know. We're all working. We all deserve to get paid somehow. But when you can see that it's you know people are clearly crossing the line, that's where I take off the little kid gloves. And you know people don't like dealing with me when it gets to that point because, I mean, my clients are, are dear family to me. You know, I I don't have a whole lot of family you know in my life. And you know if you sat both sides of my family around one table, it'd probably be about eight people, like real small family. So my clients all these. You know, retired folks, I mean, retired combat pilots or, or whatever their past may be. It feels like I'm helping my grandpa out. And no better feeling in the world than, than knowing that they're sleeping well at night because I've done my job right. I love it. And so now people listening are thinking, hmm, I like this guy. Uh, now talk a little bit about, okay, there's a lot of people like you, but... First of all, talk about your competitive advantages as well as what popped into my mind is that you're in a nice, warm, sunny California. Do you have yes. people from cold Michigan and cold Illinois and other far as you can from California state as clients or do people are most of your clients around your vicinity? You know, it's the, the nice part about uh, technology um, and, you know, kind of going back to that, you know, advantage that it's given me is, um, you know, of course I, you know, vastly prefer face-to-face -face encounters when it comes to people's money. Um, but I do have clients that, you know, for the most part, all we do is talk on the phone because, you know, their families live in Colorado or it's, you know, uh, relationships from, you know, the state that I grew up in, you know, sunny Alaska, you know, obviously uh, similar in uh, warmth to Toronto and Michigan and so on. But, you know, in most cases, you know, if I have a person that wants me to come on as their guy, you know, it, I mean, if it you know, financially makes sense and something that I can fit into my schedule, I'm, I'm always glad to make a trip across country to meet a person because, I mean, when it does come to turning over your finances to somebody and bringing them into that inner circle, it's, it's a pretty personal experience. So, um, you know, the old, the old aeroplane is a, a good friend of mine when it, you know, it, you know, when it comes time and, you know, it's, uh, it, no matter really where you are, I, I, I can help you. Right, and I imagine like uh, smart people with more money than the average person probably rely a lot on their gut instinct, and their gut instinct reacts better with someone in their presence than someone on the phone or in an email, and so I'm sure it's more comforting for them to sit across from you so that their gut can be telling them, yeah, this guy is good, or, you know, wow, this guy, I really do trust this guy, because on the phone, you can... You can get people to trust you, but that gut instinct will not react as well when it's just a voice on the other end of the phone. Well, right, and and, and I need to be able to see, too, in, inside of a person, being able to figure out, you know, what's really important about money to them. You know, and, and I can't tell that by just, you know, staring at somebody through the phone. You know, it's going to be said in their body language, 
and, and past that, you know, I have to be able to see how they react when I bring up certain investments. I mean, you know, a person's body language is going to say everything about whether they're going to be comfortable with a certain thing or, or if they've had a bad experience before. And, and I mean, most people I've met in my life um, have had a bad experience, you know, with a financial advisor or a bank or something like that in the past. So, you know, generally they'll be so scarred that they can never use that investment, you know, that they used before. So I have to be able to, to notice that. And again, the telephone just uh, has its advantages but also its limitations. So besides my clients that are in venture capital or working at technology companies in the Silicon Valley, you know, uh, those people for the most part are really happy just to jump on a Skype call or just to get an email from me. They're just, you know, that, that's kind of their cup of tea. If you're not in the technology business, chances are is we're going to be working face-to-face. Right, and you must be able to tell a fair bit uh by the, what's in someone's house, the type of car they drive, how they dress, what kind of watch they wear, yep. where you can be, okay, this is a flashy guy, or this is like just the millionaire next door guy, and mm-hmm. i got to protect his money at all costs, be honest at, all the time, mm-hmm. and make sure I get him a fair but not crazy return on investment, because right. crazy often means risky. Exactly. I mean, I, I you know I always use it you know, as a yardstick for my clients, just because you know most of them are in the business of staying retired. So you know their investment accounts are at the stage where they're actually paying them, you know, rather than them you know, sending in checks here. So they they have to be consistent, and and you aren't going to get consistency from you know a portfolio of stocks. You're going to get wild ups and downs, that's for darn sure. But, you know, uh, what we try to do here is something that just is a lot more predictable. So, you know, know, we're definitely not out there looking to, you know, get people double digits. Certainly, we'd be happy if they got double digit returns. But I find that a lot of my clients are, you know, pretty okay if they know that they're going to get 6 to 8% a year like clockwork. And if they do get double digits, I'm happy, they're happy, and we all win. But so it's, we just try to keep things a, a little bit more simple and uh, conservative from the start. So, Right, exactly. They're, they're retired. They're not looking for growth funds or extraordinary gains. They're looking for, I better be retired 10 years from now as well, or I'm going to kick your butt. Right. I mean, you know, and the clients that I do have that are my own age and, you know, I, I love them. And, but I, I just don't have as many as I do with people that are 60 years old plus. So those clients, I mean, given my connections to venture capital and so on, those are the types of deals that kind of open their ears from time to time. So, you know, we, we do really kind of take pride in looking at each family as being separate you not you know, every investment is going to work for every client. So having the resources of a TD Ameritrade, for instance, that we literally can choose from any mutual fund under the sun, you know, whether it's Vanguard or Fidelity or T. Rowe Price or any no-load fund, it makes a big, big difference because, you know, if you go back across the fence into the full-service world, you know, the, the one at A.G. Edwards that I was in or 
that you know is the the world of Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch and so on, their firms only allow their brokers to sell maybe 500 to 1,000 of these funds. And why is that? In, in order for these funds to get on the list, they have to grease the skids. So you can only imagine that companies like Vanguard and T. Rowe Price, they don't grease the skids. So because they don't, you have to be an advisor like me to use TD Ameritrade to get access to this stuff. And it just puts me in the position where I can truly say to a person, I don't care what the name of your mutual fund is. I just care that it is the best thing for your money. Right, 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 right. You're brand agnostic. Whatever's best for your client, you don't care if they're from Tuck to Yuck Duck or wherever they are, as long as it's best for your client. Now, I'm thinking that people that have above average amounts of income probably have a longer term uh, perspective on life and their money than uh, maybe someone who doesn't have that extra amount of money. And so what are the driving main driving forces that are going to shape your business over the next 10 years? Because I imagine that your clients are concerned about where's my buddy Michael going to be in 10 years and he better be you know, uh, up with the trends and still as good with my money 10 years from now as he is today. Yeah, and, I, you know, w one thing I don't pride myself on is being an expert at everything. I mean, it's just so vast when you look at the universe of investments. So, you know, I've got a company that's one of the biggest uh, pension plan runners out there that, you know, nobody knows about them. It's a company called SEI. Uh, they don't do any national advertising, but uh, they do a fair bit of pension management. And this company employs 150 certified financial analysts that all these guys do is nerd out on mutual fund managers. I mean, they are like clockwork in how they approach investments. You know, to be on their list, um, you know, they, they, you get a 30-day contract. You don't perform, you get fired. I mean, isn't that how it should be? So right. they, having a partner like that, um, you know, who not only helps me out with running pension plans and larger endowments, but also works on individuals' accounts is a huge advantage. So when people uh, buy into me, uh, of course, you know, they, they, they should like me. But I am going to be very upfront in saying, hey, I mean, it, it's not always just going to be me that's putting their brains into your money. I've got a lot of different resources that are focused on making sure that people stay up with the trends and that their investments are they're ahead of the crowd. I mean, ahead of that herd of sheep that sometimes uh, people can fall into as investors. You know, you, you hear, hey, everything is really great on, in the stock market on the news. Well, that must be my time to invest then. Generally, once you hear it on the news, uh, the, that herd is moved and it's over. So, you know, trying to kind of get people out of that mentality is, you know, important to say the least. Right, exactly. And often where the herd is moving, uh, the, to be successful, you should move in the opposite direction of that crazy herd. Because yeah, the like herd that. doesn't have what, what, as much money as your clients do. 
what did, what did Warren Buffett say? I think he said, uh, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets. So, you know, if we all remember back to early 2009 uh, when the stock market here was cratering and we were about to touch 6,600 and something in the Dow, you know, now we're at 18,000. Uh, you could, you, I mean, the amount of people clamoring to buy stocks uh, was like non-existent. Shocking considering that that's when blood was running. Shocking that Warren Buffett was buying things like mad. Now, on the other hand, uh, because the stock market is so good, now is when people are coming out of the woodwork to either become stockbrokers or to invest their money. And more often than not these days, I'm really trying to dissuade people from placing all of their eggs into the stock market because, I mean, what happens if it goes down? I mean, it does do that sometimes. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's – yeah, I guess – I focus on education and, you know, just a a little bit of extra common sense when it comes to this stuff. And, you know, after a little while, people start to get it. And it's really nice to see people kind of have that light bulb go on. Right. As I said earlier, it sounds like also like you're in the vetting business and you're like in the security system business nothing's getting past my man nothing's getting past my michael uh he's gonna make sure i got the best people the best investments and no scoundrels knocking on my door well and you know i I do make mistakes you know there there are there are plenty of you know those in my past but you know i guess by surrounding myself with smart people and uh you know, reading even smarter people. I, I, I do my best to, to not think too much myself and, you know, just to rely on the, the wisdom of others. So, Nice. Now, before we end today, uh, let's give people ways to reach you because even though it's Lagunitas, uh, Lagunitas Asset Management, that's not your website name. So give them the website, maybe any other last messages, how they can reach you. Uh, and uh, because, yeah, I'm sure people are going to be like wanting to call you now. So let them know how they can find out more about you, where they can reach you, how they can do business with you, that kind of thing. Well, I uh, I do love, uh, you know, giving myself the plug. So um, the website for our firm, Loganitas Asset Management, is uh, it's uh, you know, www.loganitas, which is, L-A-G-U-N-I-T-A-S, just like the beer, since a lot of people are more familiar with the Lagunitas beer than mine, but it's just simply LagunitasFinancialPlanning.com. And you're also welcome to reach out to me via email at Mike at LagunitasIQ.com. And the phone here is 916-357-6656. we're always, uh, you know, looking for new people to help, new challenges to uncover. So, uh, give us a ring. Be glad to help out. How come the email is Laganitas IQ? Is it? Yeah. So that was just out of, you know, I was trying to find a way to shorten my, uh, you know, the, the address. Good thinking. So, yeah. so first of all, I had to drop the canidal out of there because who can spell that horrible last name? <laughs> right, right, So we had to go Mike. I mean, everybody can spell Mike. So I figured, you know. And uh, if they can't, you don't want to be investing their money <laughs> or they don't have money to invest. <laughs> 
so one of the my, my very first website before switching to LoganitasFinancialPlanning.com was just simply LoganitasMoneyIQ.com, and you know IQ being you know just knowledge, you know a little abbreviation there. It's what I've also done with my Twitter handle. It's just LoganitasIQ. Um, and that's the same that I did on my email. So really, no matter if you're searching for me on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, or through email, it's always under the Loganitas IQ handle. Nice. And so LoganitasFinancialPlanning.com, and you got the emails to rewind the recording if you need to get the uh, email again. Uh, but uh, if you have money to invest and you don't ever want to see a loss. Uh, Mike should be the guy that you look for, and it sounds like, uh, or I know that uh, you will protect them like crazy, like it was your own mother's money. Yeah, I'll, I'll treat people like family. That is for darn sure. Nice. Thanks so much uh, for joining me today, Mike. A very uh, interesting conversation. Uh, you must deal with some amazing people. I love the work you're doing with charities uh, to give back and serve before you ever talk about selling them anything. And uh, I love your philosophy as well. People have worked very hard and done extremely well to save their money. Uh, they don't in retirement want to lose one penny of it. And so uh, I love your approach and I love that idea. Uh, if people are investing with you, they know they are going to be as much as humanly possible safe with their money, right? That's the idea. And I really appreciate you having me on, Tom. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much, Mike. Have yourself an amazing day. Take care. You too. Thanks, Tom.